everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. This was an especially crazy week given the transfer window deadline. Bayern Munich has a ton of injuries. They have a big match against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Needless to say, there's a ton going on, a lot to talk about. And listen, I know you fans out there, Following this team day to day, you've got a lot to say as well. So let's get right to it. And one of the big themes that we have heard of late with Bayern Munich is something that has been stretching out now for months. And it's the phrase, a win is a win. And in at the end of the day, I can see that philosophy and why it works. Ultimately, a fan wants to see the club or the team win. The team's main job is just to pick up a win. Everything is about winning. And that's the most important thing, right? I mean, that's why everyone is here. You want to see your team progress, do the best it can do, and win. But of late, we have seen this philosophy start to take a new meaning at Bayern Munich. Through the ugliness of some games, we just keep hearing a win is a win. And for me, I look at these games And I see a problem. I see something that satisfies that immediate urge for a victory to see your team have success. But as I watch, I continue to see things that concern me. I see a coach who doesn't seem to have a feel for what works best for his team. I see a coach that might not like some of his players. I see some players that might not be responding to the coach's tactics and strategies or even the handling of players by the coach. I see some things that are concerning. And it led me to think about many, many things and many examples of a win is a win. And just a few months back, I spoke about this topic with regard to Bayern Munich and comparing them to the Philadelphia Eagles. And I've touched on this briefly at times during this podcast But it really led me to think about it. And back at that time, the Philadelphia Eagles were rolling and they got to a record that eventually in the NFL was incredible, 10 and one. But the entire way there, I kept watching games. I kept seeing flaws and I kept saying to myself, this is all never going to work in the long term. There's too much going on that doesn't look good. There are too many errors that the team is getting lucky to overcome. And in the end, the team flamed out in one of the worst collapses, at least that I've seen in my lifetime. I never bought into the hype that was the Philadelphia Eagles this season. And I know it might sound like Monday morning quarterback, but in a lot of ways, I see so many similarities with Bayern Munich. I don't think Byron will have quite the calamitous collapse that the Eagles did, but I do think that Bayern Munich has flaws, and I think that these flaws are going to reign, going to reign supreme when it really matters. And with Byron, we look at those things that we all talk about. We see a stagnant offense at times. We see U ball where the passing is just up and around and back and up and around, and it's boring. It's a boring style to watch. And I have to think that the style is being dictated by the coach. There are other things that you see over the course of the season that, that, that make you scratch your head. Harry Kane, you brought him here to be a goal scorer, yet he's playing deeper than he ever has. 
He looks like a six at times. He's in the box defending. You didn't get Harry Kane to make him a central midfielder. You got Harry Kane to be the next Robert Lewandowski at Bayern Munich. Someone that was going to be the target man in the box. Someone that was going to score a variety of different ways. Someone whose primary talent is putting the ball in the net. Yet at this point, it still seems at times like he gets lost in the shuffle of the offense that he's sitting back too deep and relying on other players to take on that scoring role. And I, yes, I'm saying this knowing that Kane has had a fantastic season and this is all plays into a win is a win right now. What he's doing is winning them games. But when you get down to crunch time, when you need a win over Leverkusen, when you need to beat Manchester city or Real Madrid, are you going to be able to do that with Harry Kane playing the way he is and not his personal performance, but how the coach wants to use it. That's a major thing. Some of the other things that I've been concerned about during a win is a win has to do with the personnel decisions. Clearly, given the times that he's been on the field, Thomas Muller showed that he's probably still one of the best 11 players on this team. And when it comes to the attackers, it's certainly one of the top four. Yet, Tuchel rarely calls his number. We've seen Tuchel mismanage Leon Goretzka, who has had a great season. There there was a lot of heat on Goretzka from fans last year. Tuchel jumped right in on that and was critical of Goretzka as well. But this season, you'd be hard-pressed to find any midfielder that's done as well as Goretzka has, including Joshua Kimmich, who, by chance, is out right now, forcing Tuchel to make this decision. Play Goretzka or keep going with Rafael Guerrero and Alexander Pavlovich. It's a tough call in some ways, but it really shouldn't be. The only call should be really between Rafael Guerrero and Alfonso Davies at this point at left back because Davies has, of that group of players, been the one that has struggled the most this season. So a win is a win. Is it important? Is that the only thing that matters? Sure, winning matters. But as this season goes on, And if we continue to see these flaws with how Kane is used, how Tuchel picks players, I mean, just think about Matthijs De Ligt. The guy was the best defender in the Bundesliga last season. Now he's an afterthought, third-choice center back who looks like he probably has checked out on Bayern Munich. And unfortunately, that could be a byproduct of how the coach has worked with him, how he's treated him, how he's communicated with him. A win is a win. I'm I'm past that point with this team now. I need to start seeing progress in how they play. I start I, I need to start seeing some kind of end game here. And I know end game. It all ties into my uh, recent Marvel viewing, but I need to start to see that. Where is this all going? And I'll be honest with you, I don't like it because I think this team has the talent to be right up there with Manchester City and Real Madrid and Liverpool and whoever else you might consider the top contenders for the Champions League. But as it's currently playing, with the combinations that Tuchel is using, with the philosophies and strategies that he's using, I'm not sure they're going to be able to win the Bundesliga, let alone the Champions League. And I think that would be a massive disappointment. To come out of this season trophyless would be a major indictment of the coaching. Now, I've been someone who has been more than willing to put that onus on the players and say that a lot of this falls on the players and their performances. But from what I can see at this point, if this team goes trophyless, 
the majority of the blame isn't going to lie on those players. It's going to lie on the coach. And, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that. I don't think at this point, and I'm not jumping on Tuchel and becoming, you know, hashtag Tuchel out right away or Tuchel Ben, whatever you want me to, whatever you guys are calling it now. I'm not that I've been willing to give this guy a chance. I had major reservations when Byron made this hire because I just don't believe he's the kind of coach that could connect with people on the level that Byron needs them to, that he could handle this spotlight and handle this team the way it needed to be handled. I don't think he's done that so far. I think the results in the end, in terms of trophies have shown that, I mean, yes, he's got a good record. Yes. This team just keeps winning for the most part, but we need to see them start to win key games. This is obviously a season where the Bundesliga is down. Getting wins in the league this year is not all that difficult. Sorry to say, as much as I love the Bundesliga, it's not a banner year in terms of competition. You've got four or five teams that are really competitive, and then the rest are competitive and losing. And that's just how it is this year. Um, so for me, I need to see these end results. And the more I hear a win is a win, the more frustrated I'm getting because we're all seeing the same things and we all want to give this coach a chance. I think genuinely most people want to see the coach succeed. I want to see him succeed. I don't think he can ultimately succeed in the way he needs to at Bayern Munich, which is winning trophies with the way that he's coaching and handling this team. And, and if this is the case and this is the way it's going to be, I don't even understand why Bayern Munich is making the time investment in him to continue to give him the power in terms of putting together a roster. Like he has more input now than Hansi Flick ever did. And he's won, literally has won, what, one-sixth of the trophies? One-seventh, one-eighth? I don't even know what of the trophies that Hansi Flick is. It's, it's ridiculous to think about what Flick did in his time and the lack of say he had in any personnel matters. And then to give Tuchel this massive voice in putting the squad together for the future how do you know he's even going to be here? He's got one year in his contract left after this season. There's nothing to me that says he's sticking around. In a lot of ways, you could read into his quotes, and I know Didi Haman got in some trouble for doing that. You could you could read into what he's saying. Like There's no genuine, I guess, uh, connection to Bayern Munich where he's going to say no matter what. No, I think in the end, Tuchel, like many athletes, or like they all should be, they have to be part businessman, and he's going to have to look at what he wants out of his career. Does he want to continue at Bayern Munich, a place where he's got a lot of say, where he has a lot of power, but he might not have the group of players or might never get to that full group of players that he wants, that he thinks he needs to be successful? I, I don't know, because he will have options, because he's doing so well record-wise that if you're a club in La Liga or the Premier League or Syria, you're going to look at him and say, this guy can still coach and he can still get the best out of a group. But if you're really watching it, you know that right now that's not what's happening. So a win is a win. I'm done hearing it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I want to see better performances. As a few people on our side have said, I'm going to start to see the game start to look beautiful again. And it has not looked that way for the majority of the season. Can Tuchel coach in that manner? Can he get that out of this group? That remains to be seen. But if he cannot, I think Byron has to closely look at this situation at the end of the season. 
if Tuchel walks out of this season with one or no trophies, you have to look closely at him because I don't think he's the right guy for this job at this point. I don't think he's selecting players based on how they perform. I think he's selecting them based on his preference. And and, and just like anything in life, you might prefer something. It doesn't mean it's better than something else. And, and that's a major problem to me. So a win is a win. I'm done with it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and leading into that actually is one of those things that has really sparked this whole a win is a win motto and mantra that's been going on is his squad selections. Now, we know at this point, Serge Gnabry still out. We know that Kingsley Coman has a torn MCL. He's out. We also know that Brian Zaragoza, who we will touch on in just a bit, has come in and and what I would say is a panic move, but I'll I'll get into that in a little bit. You have options on this wing for who could play this weekend. And I I would not roll out Zaragoza this first weekend. He just got to Munich. I I would not make that move, but I'm also not Thomas Tuchel. You have Jamal Musiala first and foremost, who whose best position is wing. And, and, And I don't, I'm not alone in saying that Musiala has been a dynamic and productive winger in his career, yet he seems averse to playing it. You had Thomas Muller who could play wing, or you could shift Musiala to wing and play Muller at the 10. You have Matisse Tell who can play wing. You have Eric Maxim Chubomoting who could play wing. And you also have Alfonso Davies who really is a wing who's learning, still learning how to play left back. And it's amazing to say that because he's a very good left back. As much as I've criticized him this season, in last season, he's a very, still a very good left back. He still, in many ways, is learning that position. He came up through the ranks as an attacker, as a winger. So uh, Davies has that skill set and could play there. But the question I want to look at is, when it's so obvious as to to the fact that Musiala is a great wing, why isn't Bayern Munich using him there? And I'm not talking about just right now when they need a wing. But in general, it's not as if Kingsley Coman or Serge Gnabry have had these great seasons. Leroy Sané has been in a little bit of a skid of late, but why hasn't Musiala been given that opportunity? And and I have theorized here, and and many of you think I'm a crackpot for it, that the club's operating in fear of Jamal Musiala. They don't want to alienate Musiala given his tenuous status at the club. He has been rumored to be open to a transfer at some point. We know that he's been linked to many clubs. We know that he would be a very popular figure on the transfer market, given the fact that you know he already speaks English, so going back to the Premier League would be quite easy for him. There's something going on, because it's too obvious that in this particular situation, that Thomas Tuchel would not play Jamal Musiala at wing. Now, maybe we, we get to the game on Saturday and lo and behold, Musiala is playing wing, but I don't even get why this is an issue. It's what's best for the team. It's his best position. He should be playing there. Yet Tuchel keeps jamming him in as the attacking midfielder, the position that Musiala has openly talked about wanting to play. And he has let Musiala have free reign on that role. Now, this goes back to last season when when Julian Nagelsmann was sort of in the same boat where he kept playing Musiala in a central position as opposed to out wide, even though Musiala was slumping badly. And, and we've seen him slide out to wing a couple of times here and there, but nothing consistent. But if you remember when he came up and he was being used as a wing, 
how dynamic he was and how much better the Byron attack looked when he was a wing. It's not that he has all of these deficiencies as an attacking midfielder that he can't operate centrally. He can, but he's just better as a winger. In addition, when you look at how it affects the rest of the lineup, you're putting in another facilitator like Thomas Muller to help get the ball to Harry Kane in good spots. I mean, Muller spent the latter part of his career setting up Robert Lewandowski, learning how to work with the top-tier striker. Why wouldn't you want to use that expertise when you have such a weapon like Harry Kane? Instead, we see Harry Kane dropping back like a six, facilitating in the buildup, and, and too often we're seeing Kingsley Coman or Serge Gnabry or even Jamal Musiala, who the three of the threesome, they are not great finishers, getting more opportunities than than I would be really comfortable with. I want more of those opportunities going to Harry Kane. Uh, even Leroy Sané, who was terrific for most of this season, he's not a top-tier finisher. I mean, I, I want, like I said, I want the opportunities more focused on Kane and getting Kane the ball in those spots so that you can take advantage of why you got Kane. But this problem with Musiala, if he is truly refusing to play wing or won't do it to help the team that that's that's just not something that affects this team but it affects this club for years forward because you need him right now to play wing and if he doesn't play wing this weekend it's going to tell me all i need to know about the situation why is the club pussyfooting around with this guy you need him to do it. It's best for the team. Just use him that way. And if he doesn't like it, he's going to have to get over it. And if it's that big of an issue for him, then maybe he's not really someone that you want to build around anyway. It, this is a this is to me a problem. And over the last year and a half, we've seen Musiala develop a little bit more of an attitude on the field. We've seen more histrionics from him on the pitch where you know he's making gestures and faces and blah, blah, blah. I'm okay with all that. That's part of being a star player these days, whether any of us like it or not. The fact of the matter is, though, that, that Byron has to, to assess this, and they have to do what's best for the team. So for me, when I look at this weekend and I see the Borussia Mönchengladbach match, I better see Jamal Musial playing wing because that's what the team needs. And if the club itself is scared to operate in a manner to do what is best for the club, because of how one player might react, then I think we've all lost the plot here. I think Tuchel, the club, the players on the roster, everyone has lost the plot if that becomes an acceptable way to operate. And yes, I'm doing some projecting here because we don't know if Musiala is going to play wing and we don't know that he's outright refused. But however the decision's being made, and, and hopefully, I'm being honest, I actually hope it's Musiala refusing because if it's not, then that's just Tuchel in my mind, refusing to see what is most obvious. And if a coach can't see what's most obvious, then then I think he's done as well. Like I, I just don't understand at this point how that kid is not being put on the wing to help this team. So for, for me, this is a big weekend because it's going to tell me a lot about Musiala. It's going to tell me a lot about Tuchel. And it's going to tell me a lot about this club. It's going to tell me how much in control of the players that they are and what kind of plan there is moving forward because Musiala playing as an attacking midfielder is good, but not when the team needs him as a wing. And if, if, and this is a huge if, he doesn't do it for one reason or another, 
I'm going to have doubts about either Musiala or Tuchel, and I most certainly will have doubts about the club. And I don't want to do that because I want to see success. I want to see the team be as good at possi- as it possibly can be. I would take Matisse Tell, you know, if I had to playing wing or Muller or whoever, but that's just not as good as Musiala when he's out there. And that's the point. You could stick Chupo out there and he'd be fine. But does that make the team, does that set the team up the best it possibly can be? No, it doesn't. And that's a problem. So I'm going to take a quick break. I'm done with a win is a win. I'm done ranting on Musiala and playing wing because he really needs to play there this weekend. But I am going to come back. I'm going to talk about some of the transfer moves that Bayern Munich has made to date. I'm recording this on Thursday. So we know that Sacha Bowie has made his uh Mark and has started practicing at Bayern Munich. We know that Brian Zaragoza has attended his first training session as well. That's it so far, but we will touch on those moves and and talk about what those might mean when we return. Hey everybody, welcome back to this edition of the Weekend Warm Up podcast. Thanks for hanging in there. I hope you enjoyed the first segment talking about a win is a win and Jamal Musiala. Two subjects I've become very passionate about of late because I think they both have a massive effect on the mentality uh, and the direction of this team. But the club itself made a couple of moves this week. First, they brought in Satya Bowie, who is a right back from Galatasaray. Good move for Bayern Munich. They needed someone at the position. I'm very curious to see how it plays out. And why I say that is you have Bowie now who is young. You have Nusar Mizrahi, who is young. You have Josip Stanisic, who is on loan at Bayer Leverkusen, who is young. You have three players who, at the end of the season, probably would have a good feeling that they deserve a chance to be the starting right back for Bayern Munich. You can only play one of them. Now, Stanisic is a weird case because he could genuinely fill in a utility role as a center back, a right back, a left back, or even a six. Like He can do it all. So having him on the roster is great. But for his career aspirations, I would think he wants to be a starting right back at this point next season. And with the presence of Mesrawi and Sasha Bowie on this roster, I do not think that's going to happen. So Stanisic, all of a sudden, has seen his future with Bayern Munich become in question. Now, Mesrawi, he's a competitor. He's a fierce competitor. He's got a, a, a really like a fighter's attitude in my mind. Think he's been up and down this season. I think he plays in such a way that he can be a disruptive force for Bayern Munich when attacking. Like Alfonso Davies, I think sometimes he can find himself out of position. And sometimes he makes bad decisions on the ball and that compromises the center backs. Uh, so it's a tough tandem to have there when you have Davies on one side who has very many of the same issues that Ms. Rowley has. So when you have them both in, it does put a lot of strain on the center backs. It puts a lot of strain on the six. In my mind, Mizrahi and Davies are both far too offensive-minded to play together. And that's why I liked Benjamin Pavar as a right back, because there was that balance. Pavar could move forward, and he could get involved in the attack, but he was more of a stay-at-home kind of player, which helped the center backs. When you throw Bowie into the mix now, you're you're throwing in another player with a similar skill set. But I will say, in the limited amount that I've seen Bowie, it's he's been a little bit more of a defensive presence than either Mesrawi or Davies. Now, 
Again, it's a small sample size. I'm not watching the Turkish Turkish Super League on the regular, right? I saw his games against Bayern in the Champions League. And I believe, if I'm correct, I've at least seen highlights and maybe a couple of matches on the BN network, which I could even be flashing back to something else. But I, I, I remember a couple of times watching replays of Galatasaray. Uh, and I will say it didn't, it's not as if that Bowie has jumped off the screen before I, I, I realized he was coming to Bayern Munich or what kind of player he might be capable of. So I don't have an extensive background watching it. And I would, wouldn't would even come on here and, and try and say that. And I know some people might. Some people might be more familiar with his work. But what I'm saying is my impression of him is that he might be able to be the kind of player that provides a little bit of balance playing opposite of Alfonso Davies. But is he better than Nusar Mizrahi? And I think that that's where this is all going to, to kind of reach uh, a tipping point because Mizrahi, in my mind, it feels like the position is his doesn't feel like he's going to have to share it with anybody. And I think there is potential for some discourse when you're talking about Mizrahi, how he views himself, how he values himself and what he thinks his role is at Bayern Munich. And if there is a, a, a downtick in his playing time, if he feels like he should be playing more, I don't think Mizrahi is the kind of player that's just going to sit back and take it. I think, much like we saw with Ryan Gravenberg, you're going to start to see Ms. Rowley start to talk to the media a little bit more. And this is, again, I'm predicting and projecting right now, but I just don't see Ms. Rowley as the kind of player that would really take kindly to having to sit more at this stage of the season. Now, hopefully Ms. Rowley comes back from his break with Morocco and he's he's healthy, that he's gotten his issues worked out, because it would be fun to see him compete and to see who emerges as Thomas Tuchel's favorite for that position. I will say I don't get the impression that Tuchel was a massive fan of Mizrahi, which I think helped drive getting this type of player to bring in. It's not as if Bayern Munich went out and got a veteran that they just needed to plug in here and there to help spell Mizrahi or fill in while he was hurt. No, they went out and got direct competition. So I don't know if this is going to be something that Mizrahi takes kindly to, and I sure as hell don't know how Tuchel's going to have it play out because now he's got competition to the point where it, it could switch game to game depending on training or depending on Tuchel's preference. So I'm very eager to see how it works out with those two, uh, Mizrahi and Bowie. I think, you know, listen, it was a move that Bayern Munich needed to make. They needed depth. I don't know if it was the right strategic thing to do given the potential volatility of this roster, but I guess we'll all be interested to see how it plays out. As far as Brian Zaragoza goes, absolute 100% panic move. Bayern Munich panicked. Uh, this, this was not something I anticipated. Of course, when they signed Zaragoza initially, we found out in December that he was going to make that move to Bayern Munich and it was going to happen in the summer. And that would potentially put Serge Gnabry or Kingsley Coman at risk, potentially. I mean, it, ideally, I think Bayern Munich always wanted to roll with four wings. But the reason I think they went with three this season is because they had so many players who could fill that role. Like we just talked about Thomas Muller, Jamal Musiala, Eric Maxim, Chupo Moting, Matisse Tell, even Rafael Guerrero and Franz Kratzig could both play wing. I'm not saying they'd be as good as Sané at wing, but I'm saying they can play it. 
And to go out and do this and spend the extra money on Zaragoza now, and the money's less of a concern for me because it's a drop in the bucket to Bayern Munich, but you didn't need to do it. You did. <laughs> you, you could have easily just pushed Jamal Musiala out to wing, and guess what? Musiala would be a better wing than either Gnabry or Kingsley Coman at this point. And I, I'm fully confident in saying that. So I don't get the Zaragoza move. Again, this is something that feels like it was pushed by Tuchel, that Tuchel is saying what he needs. And if if that's the case, and again, big if, if Tuchel was the one pushing for this, it, it makes me think that he doesn't value players like Thomas Muller or Matisse Tell the way he should at this point, because I really don't think you needed Zaragoza right now. I think he could have done well to stay with Granada, help that club stay afloat and stay uh, out of relegation and, and and get more experience that way. I truly feel that would have benefited him more than coming to Bayern Munich because what happens in a couple of weeks here when Serge Gnabry comes back? What happens in two months when Kingsley Coman is back? Then you have Zaragoza as the fourth option at wing. And truly, if you absolutely need to win a game, do you feel like Tuchel would play Zaragoza over the combination of Jamal Musial at wing and Muller as the 10? I, I don't think so. I think if his job depended on it, Tuchel would make the right move. I think until his job depends on it, he might not. But either way, I, I didn't think that the move for Zaragoza needed to be made at this point. I don't want to sound like a bitter old man. Fine, they made it. You make the best of it. Maybe he can uh, provide some inspiration. Maybe he can bring a little flair to the game. We know he's got some great dribbling skills and creativity. Maybe that all works and it all helps. But again, you're getting away to me from the point where Jamal Musiala is the wing that this team needs at this point. And the fact that they're they're going out of their way and bringing in a guy early and spending extra money because you won't just play Musial at wing makes this whole thing absurd. And I'm sorry if I keep ranting on that, but it all kind of ties in because it just makes too much sense to put Musial at wing. Get him in 1v1s on the outside. Let him break down defenses from the outside in, and you'll create more goals. And he's just a better player that way. He's a better player as a wing than a 10. So I don't think you needed Zaragoza. I think it was a panic move, and it was probably pushed by Tuchel. I don't know that for sure, but I would think that he's got an idea of who he wants to play and how much he wants to play them, and there are certain players that this move to me signifies your playing time at Bayern Munich is going to be next to nil, probably moving forward. So not a big fan of that move now. I've been all good with Zaragoza coming in the summer, but at this point I just think it reeked of panic. We're going to take one more break and then a couple of quick topics. We're going to touch on um, Tuchel again. We're going to talk about why this has become so divisive. And then I'll give you my quick take on True Detective, the latest episode. Spoiler alert, uh, thought it was the weakest of the three so far. I'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm Up Podcast. Appreciate you hanging in there. Uh, the final footballing point I did want to hit on was something that doesn't ha as much have to do with the coach, Thomas Tuchel himself, as much as it does the fan base. And I, I want to talk about this briefly because BFW provides an open forum, right? There is a lot of talk on the site within the comments, 
lot of talk on this podcast, a lot of talk in our posts about Tuchel. And yes, much like the fan base as a whole, there are divided segments here. We have the pro Tuchel crowd, who I think has been labeled the Tuchel bond, which is creative, if not offensive, but <laughs> creative nonetheless. Uh, and then we have the hashtag Tuchel out community, which I think I need no name might be uh, the president of either way. It's become a, a sticking point for a lot of people. There are people who feel like either the fan base or the site itself has become too hard on Tuchel or that maybe not hard enough for some people, maybe not extreme enough. And I'll say this at BFW, we offer all viewpoints. We take them all in, in terms of Bayern Munich and German national team football. We take all the opinions and in the comments, you will have some people that agree with you. You will have some people that do not. When I talk on this podcast, there are probably half the people that are like, this guy's a moron. And the other half might be like, yeah, maybe, maybe he has some good thoughts either way. Uh, Tuchel has, probably become the coach that has caused the biggest rift in the fans that I have seen in recent years. You know, I don't think, and I, I just want to talk about the last, I guess, 10 years specifically. I mean, I, you look at Carlo Ancelotti was the first really divisive coach. Like when you went from Yopankis to Pep Guardiola, I don't think that was an ideal scenario given the success that Yopankis had, but Pep Guardiola was the hottest name in coaching at the time. It was very tough to argue against that, right? And, and even though I don't think, you know, Pep didn't have a 100% approval rating, there were a lot of people who who supported him. And I think overall, despite the lack of a Champions League trophy, he did some good things. Maybe he had a tinge too much of uh, smelling himself during his time in Munich because he made some moves that were strictly pep moves that might not have been best for the team. But either way, it's tough to say that he was a failure at Bayern Munich. He certainly was not. Uh, when you look at Carlo Ancelotti, there wasn't much division in the fan base there. I think genuinely people knew that Carlo was not a fit. And by the time that the club decided to act on it, it was almost fully slanted to everyone knowing that Carlo wasn't going to work. And that had to do with everything from his coaching style to his training sessions, which may have had a little bit too much Syria in them. And uh, even his handling of players and his, the players that he wanted, the, the, the players that he targeted uh, there, you would be hard pressed to find many fans who, who really thought that Carlo. And when I say Syria, I'm making a joke because you know, they traditionally don't have intense practices. And at that point at Bayern Munich, uh, he, he had, you know, I think he had hired a bunch of his friends and his family to basically be on the coaching staff at that point. His son was part of it. And regardless of the qualifications of it, it was just a, a bad look all around. And, and when he left, that was one of the major criticisms from the players that the training sessions weren't hard enough. Either way, nobody thought Carlo was the right move by the time his tenure was over. We saw Yup Heinkes come back and, and save the day there. And and obviously that was a short-term thing. Everyone would still love it if he was still the coach. But unfortunately, that's never going to happen again. Niko Kovac, I think there was a lot of skepticism from the beginning. And then he did have a significant part of people that wanted to give it a chance, wanted to give it a try because he was trying new things. 
Unfortunately for him, he needed certain players to play his system. Byron wouldn't get them. And it quickly went downhill to the point where by the time he was let go, pretty much everyone was like, all right, well, this has to happen for Byron to move forward. And that's how it played out. And listen, not everyone liked how it was handled. Not everyone thought he got a fair shake. But in the end, everyone knew at that point, it just wasn't going to work for him at Bayern Munich. It was very obvious. So then you had Hansi Flick, great tenure, sextuple winner, has a beef with uh, Razo over transfers and personnel and squad planning. He leaves. Everyone was was disappointed with that. And when I say everyone, I know I'm speaking in broad generalities here, but mostly everyone was disappointed with how that played out. Whether you were Team Flick or Team Brazo in that scrap didn't matter because you, you knew at that point that it was probably not going to, to be as successful as it was. And, and that would prove to be true when they hired Julian Nagelsmann, who again, divisive, but not quite this divisive. And, and it's funny because... A lot of the same people that are two goal out seem to have been Nagelsmann out. So maybe no coach can win. But either way, I find that Tuchel at this point in his coaching tenure at Bayern Munich has really divided everyone. And there's there are people at each other's throats on social media, on the site. And I'm not going to sit here and tell people how they should think. I, I Listen, I'll talk about how I think. I'll listen to you how you think. I'm not going to try and direct your thoughts or change them. But we do need to start being a little bit more civil with each other about this because it's too cool after all. You know what you're getting. This is a guy who thrives, it seems, on being in volatile environments and not having great relationships. And, and while being a, a, a brilliant tactician at times might not always do what's best for the team. So the whole Tuchel in, Tuchel out thing, I think everybody needs to take a step back. At this point, Tuchel has a year and a half left on his contract here, maybe not even that long. And Bayern Munich's going to have a tough choice to make. And fans are going either going to be irate that he's <laughs> with one decision or they're going to be happy depending on your stance. So Tuchel in, Tuchel out. Everyone needs to take a step back here and just ride this out with him because it's not going to change. The people that don't like Tuchel are not going to all of a sudden like him unless he wins the Champions League. The people that love Tuchel they're not going to give up because now they're too invested in this. They protected their man for so long. They're they're just going down with the ship. So everyone needs to take a step back. The Tuchel situation, it's not controllable by anybody, and there's no reason for any of us to be uh, you know, at each other's throats over it. But I am always interested when I hear people's takes on that because both sides have legitimate arguments, and I and I get it, but in my mind, it's all a moot point because Bayern Munich's going to do what Bayern Munich is going to do. And it doesn't matter what anybody says. The last thing I'll touch on the last episode of True Detective Night Country. I've been a massive fan of this uh, for through the first two episodes. I felt like in episode three, they took a step back. There were some intriguing parts, but I felt like this was more of a filler episode. And by filler episode, I mean it just killed time. Now, there are episodes that are setup episodes, which you might see in, say, a series like The Wire or Breaking Bad, where they expertly craft a storyline so that you don't get filler. You don't get unnecessary parts of a show that are just there to fill time. You might get set up, and it might not always be action-packed, 
but it's still working its way toward the end. And I felt like there was a little bit too much filler in this episode uh, for True Detective. And I, I, by all means, I don't think that this is going to be an indictment of the show. It's very tough to craft 12 perfect episodes. Uh, I, I would say the episode was a three out of five on my scale, which means it wasn't bad. It was worth the watch, but it definitely was a bit of a drop off from the first two. So I'm interested to see how things evolve for episode four. I want to see how they take the story and start to push it. You know, I've talked a lot about the mystic element that's there. And I think that the writers have done a really good job of weaving that in. I think they've done a good job with weaving in the backstories, although I do believe we need more flashbacks. And that was one of the things that's tough to replicate about season one of True Detective. You can't have the kind of flashbacks that they did with McConaughey and Woody Harrelson that 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 you can't really replicate them is what I should say. What they're doing now is they're giving you little doses of it, but it's not quite giving you enough to, to show you the rich development of those characters from the past to now and what has happened. You're getting a little bit here and a little bit there. And I think we got some key aspects of why the characters have some of the relationships they do in the last episode, but I want to see a little bit more. I want to see a little bit more tight storytelling and I think it'll get there. So while I wasn't the biggest fan of this particular episode, I'm still invested in the story. I still want to see where it goes and I think it will get better. So that's about all I got for an entertainment rundown this week. Uh, that'll wrap up this edition of the weekend warm-up podcast. As always, you can get me at the barrel blog on Twitter. You can get the, you can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get our tweet Meister Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71. You can get I need no name at BFWIN and then you can get Siler at CYL3R. You can get all of our great podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. We'll have all of the coverage of the Borussia Mönchengladbach match. So be there for all of that. Any of the, the, the late deadline transfer news, we're here for all of it. So hang with us. Have a couple of beers on me. Enjoy the match and we'll see you next time.